This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead. This is Austin Real Estate Investing. And today we have Dan Lukowitz here with us. Dan is all about commercial real estate and he's going to tell us his experience investing in commercial real estate in the Austin area and also brokering commercial real estate in the Austin area. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Glad we could have you on here. Um, so real quick, before we get started, could you tell our guests who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing? Yeah, sure. So I'm, um, I'm a husband. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a broker. I'm just a passionate guy who loves what I do and loves the people that I work with and loves commercial real estate, real estate, entrepreneurship, business. I'm just somebody who likes to have, add value and have fun doing it. Awesome. And, uh, you know, real quick, I know we talked about this a little bit before we got started, but why should people look at Austin? Why invest in Austin right now? Really good question. And we can talk about this more globally or specifically as the, as the show goes on. But Austin's a great market. Um, I think there are a lot of great markets across the country and there are a lot of great markets in Texas. I happen to like Austin because of, you know, some of the you know, myself, particularly some of the um, conferences or some of the events that are in Austin, whether they're healthcare events or real estate events. You know, I remember in 2016 being in Austin with, uh, you know, I was invited uh, by Keller Williams to be there and hear Gary Keller speak. And just to see the, you know, tens of thousands of, of professionals who come to the city, you know, that breeds commerce, vacation rentals. Um, there's just a, a, an, an explosion. You know, I've got partners, two partners that are going to be here in, in uh, Detroit with me in a, in a couple of weeks that both live in Austin. And just to see their businesses explode and to speak with them about their particular deals and their residences. And these are guys who invest all over the world. But yeah. to see that and to see how things are really booming in Austin, it's exciting. And it's definitely a market that I want to spend more time in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a it goes for a lot of people. A lot of people want to spend more time in Austin and absolutely have more sitting in Austin. It's going to grow and, and rents are going to go up and the prices are going to go up. It's a great place to own. It's a great place to hang out, like you said. Yeah. And companies think that as well, right? Our good friend Elon Musk is, 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 is moving into Texas, right? I mean, when you see, and that ha similar things happen with Detroit, with Dan Gilbert, Quicken Loans, Rocket, IPO, Ally, B Bank of America, all, or sorry, Fifth Third Bank, all these big companies. When big companies come into a city, what people don't realize is a fascinating fact. Typically for every one white collar job that's brought to a city, there's at least four other blue collar jobs that are created. So when you bring in a corporation that, you know, Tesla has blue and white collar, we're not going to discriminate, right? Mm -hmm. We don't care what color you are. But 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 when 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 a company like Tesla comes in, all those white collar jobs, that number of jobs, it's not just that number, it's all the trickle down, it's all the ancillary services, it's all the commerce, it's all the, the rentals, the vacation rentals, the the dry cleaning, the you know, the restaurants, all that stuff. So that's a big, you know, a big precursor to see what's gonna happen next. So if you thought Austin was hot, wait till it turns on fire. Yeah. And I think that you're you're exactly right there, and that is something so many people forget about. When this Tesla comes into town, that one job creates so many more. So, you know, if you say, "Hey, they're they're hiring a thousand people over here," in reality, that's probably five thousand jobs created. 
It is. And what's fascinating from a broker's perspective is like, I look at certain what we call like flyover states, maybe Iowa, where I think there are great markets in Iowa. Why? Because I work with the developers that build the hospitals in certain markets. And I know that they're building there because the hospital system wants them there and because of the tips and the tax credits and the abatements. So the fact of the matter is when you're looking at real estate, from especially from a commercial perspective, it matters less about the things that people care about, that the regular residential people care about or regular consumers care about, and more about the general demographics, the commerce in the area. Is there a Tesla coming in? Is there a, you know, a Quicken Loans or Rocket Mortgage that's bringing tens of thousands of jobs into the city? Is there a hospital system that's building dozens of locations and wants those locations there? So you really have to look at a macro perspective. And I think that if you look at Austin, the micro economics and the micro perspective, they make sense. The macro makes, makes even more sense. And people aren't even focusing on that so much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So real quick, Dan, um, obviously you're involved in real estate on a really broad scale. What initially attracted you to real estate investing and why are you involved trying to help others do the same thing? That's a really great question. I would say that what attracted me initially was back in 2005, I helped to start a business called Disability Made Easy LLC, barrier-free home modification company. So we would basically were contracted out to make homes handicap accessible for people that had illness, injury, different types of difficulties. We contracted with, with the individuals. We had a lot of relationship with, with the hospitals, with the service providers, social workers, case managers, et cetera, et cetera. I'll never forget this. I'm the sales and marketing guy back then, you know what, 15, 17 years ago, going out on a trip with our project manager. We drove, we had a nice trip and he's, he's a construction guy. So we get to a site and I see this property and I say, man, this thing is totally functionally obsolete. And he says, wait a minute, Dan, we get out of the van, the work van takes out his graph paper, 45 seconds, he sketches a brand new front elevation. And to be able to see something that was a piece of property that was worth money, right? It's sticks and bricks, it's land. It's functional to a certain extent, but it's really functionally obsolete. And, and to see that ability, that uncanny ability in the, in, the, in the contractor's mind to take that and turn it into something that's functional, that makes sense and that works for the, for the new application, I'll never forget that moment. And, and you know, fast forward a few years later when it was time for me to buy my first home in the middle of the recession, I had an opportunity to buy a home that was ready to go, right? Totally turnkey. And I just felt like I was, I was overpaying, which in hindsight, you know, I would have been probably worth double, right? But what I ended up doing was I went a couple blocks over, I contacted a bank because I knew they owned a property on the street, same exact house, but it had popcorn ceiling and it had like, you know, black strobe lights in the, the basement and it had, you know, everything was, was outdated and the layout of the kitchen was messed up, bought it for $81,000 cash from the bank, wow. renovated the entire property, not myself, I hired each thing out, but I told each contractor, I said, please, I'm going to give you a little extra money. I'm going to be annoying. I'm going to hang out on the job site a couple times a week. I want you to teach me what you're doing. So I did that. And my friends all said to me, you know, Dan, what are you going to do when you finish your home? Like as a joke, I said, I'll buy another one. And before I finished, I bought another one. I bought four more. I reached out to a friend in Florida, a very good friend of mine, went to a tax auction. We bought a bunch there, renovating, flipping, investing over and over and over again. You know, I'm probably a hundred houses later and, you know, I haven't flipped houses in years, but the point is, is that that experience in that vehicle, getting out and seeing something and watching it be converted, you fast forward that I've got so many iterations of things that are similar, like buying a home in, in Detroit that's built in the 1930s, beautiful Tudor, you know, all brick, gorgeous home, big, big round, you know, thresholds and all that. And then buying that and refinishing the floors and putting in a new kitchen and changing the layout and, and taking the boiler system out and putting forced air, et cetera, et cetera. I love that idea of taking something and adding value. And even though I don't really flip many homes anymore, that concept of taking something that has inherent value and then doing a value add, whatever that is, that's something that drives my business in every aspect to this day. 
That's awesome. Yeah, no, I love doing that exact same thing. I, I think similar to you, if, if I ran into a new home that I was looking to buy for myself, I would almost be turned off. I don't want something that's fixed up and perfect. I want to be able to, for one, make it what I like, but also add a lot of value to it. And that's always worked very well for me. So listen, the struggle is real. I feel the same way. I'm now selling my second house hacked home, you know, six or eight years later from that one. And we're buying another one in Birmingham. And same thing. I was like, man, I told my wife, I was like, I, I can't buy this house. It's the first house I've ever bought that doesn't need a total gut job. And she's like, it's okay. It's okay. We're buying it under value. She's very smart as well. We're buying it under value. And then guess what happened on Sunday, the day before we're supposed to close? We had a big flood in the basement. So there's going to be a value add opportunity there. And I convinced her to be able to put brand new hardwood and change some things upstairs. So there's going to be a value add component there. And I'm with you. Like anytime I, the Warren Buffett model is buy things under value, increase net worth on the purchase. And I don't care if that's silver, gold, Bitcoin, commercial properties, or your own residence or a company for that matter. If you can buy something under value, you have immediately increased your net worth day one. Yeah. Yeah, and you have so much more control when you do that too. I think yes. it's I think it's the only way to invest in real estate is to buy stuff under value some way or another. There's lots of ways to do it, but absolutely you're right. We, you're right. And we need more people that think like you that have that mentality. In fact, you should probably, you know, work with us and teach on our course because a lot of investors they say, Hey, you know, I bought this. Look, look at the cash flow, look at the returns, look at and they get lost in those numbers. And I say, look at the negative equity. Doesn't that bother you? Because what if you need or want to sell right now? You will lose money. So I think that your fundamental of always looking at that for investing is so crucial. And I'm sure that you lead yourself and your investors much in a much more successful manner by having that mentality off rip. Yeah, I think it's just hard for people to understand that you don't have to do everything yourself. And just because you don't know all of the components of rehabbing houses or apartment buildings or commercial buildings or whatever it is, that that's okay. Maybe you haven't done it just quite yet, but you could find a partner that has or find a contractor that has and really just make your life a lot easier in that respect. Absolutely. No question about it. You don't have to know everything. That's a big lesson for me. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this before we got started too. Could you tell us about a bad deal you've seen or just give some advice on how to avoid a bad deal? I know you're a broker, you, you teach people how to invest in real estate. You've obviously done a lot of it yourself. I'm sure you've run into some stuff where you'd say, hey, don't do this. Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Sure. So I'm the first to admit mistake. I'm going to secondly talk about a bad deal I got into years ago when I was stupid, but uh, now I don't do bad deals, right? But I'm going to talk about that, but I'm also going to talk about as a broker bad deals I've seen and how I help people get out of bad deals. So I guess we'll go in that. We'll do number two first. So as a broker, I've seen a lot of bad deals and a lot of sellers, unfortunately, come to me after they've bought a bad deal. So first of all, disclaimer, if you're out there as an investor and you're about to buy a bad deal, reach out to Dan, I'll help you out and I'll make sure that to help you make that bad deal into a good deal or help you to find a, a good deal. Now, if you've already bought a, a bad deal, there are ways that you can turn a bad deal into a good deal, especially in net lease. 
um, with things like the blend and extend or things like, you know, uh, doing some type of value add on, on the property or, you know, raising rents, things like that, adding tenants, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a particular bad deal that came to my, comes to my mind is probably one of the first deals I underwrote as a broker in the net lease space. I specialize pretty much exclusively, at least myself, my team has other specializations, but I specialize exclusively in, in net lease, single tenant, net, multi-tenant net lease investments all over the country, including in Texas. And quick, before you go any further, for our listeners that don't know what that is, can you explain single tenant net lease? So yeah, absolutely. So a single tenant net lease is just like it sounds, single tenant, that's one tenant, net lease. So what, what's in that name, net lease? That means that the lease terms have a rental amount that is net to the investor, right? So in contradistinction to multifamily, where you have a, a gross income, right? Maybe it's $125,000 in a very small building or you know, a year annually. And I've got a Wendy's that's on single tenant net lease, $125,000 of rent. Well, in the Wendy's, the, the net operating income, the bottom line is also $125,000. Why is that? Because the tenant, Wendy's or the franchisee that's in there, will pay the taxes for you. They'll pay the common area maintenance for your building. They'll pay for the roof, the structure, the parking for your building. They'll pay to manage it, to cut the grass, to shovel the snow, everything, right? So the number 125 is net to you. You own the building, they do everything. They will even improve the building or in some cases they build a building on your ground if it's a ground lease like that. Now in multifamily, the 125 is your gross income. However, as you know, you may have expenses, not you may, you will have expenses such as management, right? Vacancy costs, capital expenditures. You might have to do things like evictions. You'll have to cut the grass, fix the roof, you know, plow the snow, market, advertise, run the office, et cetera, et cetera. So you're 125. In my experience, if it's a building that's well run, Usually about half of that goes out for expenses, right? If you see a building, by the way, a mentor of mine taught me this years ago. If you see a building that has a net operating income that is significantly more than 50% of the, of the, um, the, the, the gross collected rents, look into it because the underwriting might be off, okay? Um, it's very important, right? So the net lease investments are properties that have absolutely no landlord responsibilities. In this case, they're single tenant and they're usually very highly stable and secure tenants like Walgreens, like Amazon, like FedEx. So it's not just Mr. Johnson and, and Mr. Smith and, 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 uh, and, and Mrs. Robinson living on the floor that are single tenants, right? That sign the lease and if they don't have money, they leave. Or if they go bankrupt, you're in, you don't, can't collect anything, right? These are huge corporations that have tens, hundreds, or maybe even thousands of locations backing the lease. So the security, one of the elements of the security is found in the fact that if they vacate or if they stop performing or if they decide to go to another location or build another location, even if the property is dark and vacant, they are still paying rent for the duration of the lease. Even if that location goes completely out of business and there's a thousand others on the lease, you're still collecting rent. Yeah. So that's a net lease, a single tenant net lease investment, right? So we were talking, I think, but before we went for that definition, we were talking about maybe some, some uh, specialization in single tenant net lease, right? Single tenant net lease, and then you know ways you've seen to to get out of a bad deal yeah. or really avoid. A so bad my first business. one of my first deals that I was working on in single tenant net lease was a PetSmart. Okay, famous tenant, yeah. a lot of credit issues. Sorry if you own a PetSmart out there, but they bought Chewy.com, which may or may not have been a good, good acquisition. They were loaded up with debt. 
at the time their uh, credit status went down to like triple C negative or something like that, which is basically junk bond status. So I had a seller out of state. He owned 15 properties. So he's got some worth, right? Made all his money in self-storage, but he bought this from a broker two or three years before and he wanted me to sell it. And unfortunately it was worth significantly less than he paid for it, despite cap rates going down, despite the market being hot and hot and hot because there was what we call a wrinkle in the lease, okay? A wrinkle in the lease means exactly what it sounds like. It's a metaphor, right? Somebody was signing the lease and when they signed it, they didn't undo the little wrinkle on the paper and see that there was something written in there that wasn't good. It's a kind of a cute little term, right? So in that wrinkle, there was what's called a co-tenancy clause. A co-tenancy clause says in this example that if the anchor tenant, I think it was a, I think it was a Lowe's or Home Depot, Uh, If they go dark, if they vacate, if they move, immediately PetSmart is entitled to a 50% rent reduction. Okay, 50%. So instead of paying 300 grand annually in rent or something like that, you're going to get 150. So think about it. If you own a PetSmart in Austin and and my client owns a PetSmart in, you know, somewhere in Detroit, Michigan, around Detroit, Michigan, and yours doesn't have that wrinkle in the lease, that co-tenancy clause that that my guy didn't recognize or his broker didn't show him, I should say, right? Your property is going to be worth way more than my client's property. Why? Because my client's property, it could potentially have a 50% reduction in rent, okay? Whereas yours is going to be at the full rent. So that was a bad deal. Now, how do we get him out of that? We talk to him, we educate him. We tell him, well, hey, I know you want to retenant this, but retenanting it is going to mean taking this I don't know, 30 or 40,000 square foot box. I think it was around 30,000 and cutting it up because very few tenants want that kind of size right now. That's one option. We gave them a whole analysis of what it would cost to cut it up and then lease it out and retenant it and this and that and the other, right? And he decided, he made an educated decision that he didn't want to do that, that it would be better to sell it and take a small loss than go through all that trouble as, a, as a, an absentee owner. So that's a great example of a bad deal. And I helped the client work through that, okay? Now, an example of a bad deal that, that I was in And this is a great example for you. I bought a lot of single family homes in and around Detroit. And at a certain point, I got, my emotions got the best of me because I saw that moving my business from the suburbs into the city, I was able to buy five, six, seven, eight, 10 houses for the same price of one in the suburbs. And this was before Detroit was like a sexy place to invest. Most of my colleagues at the time thought that Detroit was a four letter word. Okay. Now they're kicking themselves and they're investing only in Detroit, but it is what it is. So we're talking back 15, 16, 17, 18, around then. So bought a lot of properties in a specific area because I knew that I could flip them after rent, like renovating them, put a tenant in, flip them, flip them to a guy locally or girl locally or a guy or girl overseas, make a lot of money. However, I also recognized that at that time I was leaving corporate America and I was going into real estate full time. And I really wanted to have a big rental portfolio right away to replace all of my income as a business development executive. So I bought a lot of properties. And when you're buying in Detroit, 50, 100, $200,000 will buy you a lot of properties. Mm-hmm. So I bought properties. I made the mistake. This is very interesting. I made the mistake of buying a lot of properties during the winter. Okay. So you might think that I, that was a mistake because of winterization. And I'll tell you, that's never a mistake. Why? Because Number one, these properties don't have furnaces in them. They don't have hot water heaters in them. And you're lucky if the copper plumbing is still there. So I'm not worried about that. However, there's one thing in the city of Detroit that doesn't exist during the winter that exists during the summer. Do you know what that is? No, I'm not. I would have thought. Gang members and drug dealers doing business in the streets. Okay. So when it's raining or snowing or it's cold, they're inside. However, once the air, once it's air conditioning season and they don't have air conditioning, they're outside, they're slinging, they're doing whatever they're doing. And, and 
the true colors of a neighborhood come out, in my opinion, most people don't talk about this, but this is the legit truth. The true colors of a, of a neighborhood come out when the residents are on the porches or out in the streets. During the winter, it looks like paradise, and then it starts getting warmer, and guess what happens? Drug busts, houses getting broken into, violence, crime, et cetera, et cetera. So the bad deal I got into was I bought, I think, five properties on one street. I figured I'll just buy the block and build it up. And I did well on a lot of them, but I didn't do so well on two. And on one of them, unfortunately, the nicest one, I bought it from Chase Bank for 10 grand. It was like 1,700 square feet, all brick, two stories, full basement. Chase had put $20,000 into waterproofing the property, bought it for 10 grand. They held it for like eight years. Well, little did I know that when I bought it, obviously, Chase wanted their metal system back called VPS, Vacant Property Systems. They wanted that system back. It was doors and windows and everything to, to make it a fortress. And that's fine. They get it back. It's theirs. They're paying $500 a month for it on a 10 grand house. Okay. They get it back. I renovate the house. I make it beautiful. We're in the middle of it. And the gangs on the street didn't go after my frame houses that I paid one, two or 3000 for. They went after this house. Why? Little did I know I had bought the neighborhood drug house from 20 years ago. And the residents were very upset with me. I don't know if you call them residents when they're taking over people's houses, but they were very upset with me and they would just to show us a lesson, they would come in and break in and steal things. So that was a bad deal. <laughs> and that was a bad deal I had to perform on. And, and there's nothing worse. The worst feeling I've ever had in real estate investing is having to finish a deal that you know you're going to lose money on, but you have to finish it because you already have a buyer lined up, right? And you're just dumping more and more money in and it's getting stolen. It's coming in like this and going out like that. So that's a bad deal. And I learned my lesson to never over leverage myself, to do more research, right? And to go drive neighborhoods when it's not snowing, raining, or cold. So with that, you were flipping that, were you flipping that to an investor or to a, an end home buyer? So I did five homes on that street. I think three of them I flipped to investors. This one I actually sold to a homeowner, which boggled my mind. They paid about, I think 60 grand for it. I didn't lose that much, but um, what was incredible was, I mean, these are people that don't mind living there. Uh, and, and I think maybe once a, a family moved in, it would have been better because the neighbors had more sympathy rather than you know someone like me who's going there and and, uh, and, and, and profiting on their drug house. So um, that one, I didn't lose that much money. However, there were there's one or two others that I literally just packaged with other properties and gave them away because sure. I didn't want to lose my life. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be there being the active investor and enter commercial real estate brokerage, right? That's why I became a commercial real estate brokerage was that street in Detroit, because I can make way more money than any of my best flips in my career on one deal sitting in my office or at the beach um, talking to people that were educated and had a lot of money, high net worth individuals. And I actually was able to build my brand, right. And, and, and be successful and be safe and provide a, you know, a future for my family. Awesome. No, that's a good story. I think, you know, and I've, been... I've never told that before uh, in public. Well, well, it's not like people are going to hear this or anything. So <laughs> I hope um, you're wrong. <laughs> no, people absolutely hear this and let's do it. Um, I think you see this trend with so many real estate investors. They start with the cheapest, easiest thing they can get, whether it's apartments or houses or, or commercial, whatever you're looking at. You know, everybody's starting with the cheapest things. They say, hey, I want the, the lowest price of entry, and I think yeah. I'm going to make the most money off of that. But then after a while, they learn hey, that it's cheap for a reason. Yeah, and, it, and the opportunity is way greater. Like, I'm buying single family homes for a couple grand and putting a couple grand into them and selling them for 30, 40, 50, 60 grand. But why not buy a 300 unit, right? 
for a couple million dollars and put a million dollars in it and flip it for a multi-million dollar profit. Like, and it's yeah. one roof and, or maybe a few, one or a few boilers, one or a few, you know, uh, electrical and plumbing systems. And it's smart. And guess what? The competition in the single tenant flipping single tenant in the single family flipping business right now, there's so much competition because the barrier to entry is lower in the 300 plus unit multifamily, lot few players in the space, a lot more money. So I would agree with you completely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, here in Austin, for example, we get lots of people that come to us and want to buy rental houses. And of course, Austin is not, it's not cheap. There's not hundred thousand dollar houses laying around within an hour of Austin. There is. So people start to say, Hey, I want that house up there in Killeen, right by Fort hood. Yes. That house over in temple. And, and, you know, what you typically find even there is, you know, as you get out, these areas are less desirable that things are cheaper. And there's a reason houses are four to 500,000 yeah. in Austin. But can I give you a good example about Austin in that regard? Yep. One of my, one of my colleagues is out there. He's going to be here in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm on the, we have an accountability call every week. I love it. It's amazing. So we're talking and he's like, yeah, I'm going to sell my condo in Austin. He was here in Detroit maybe a month ago. And we were talking about it, whether or not he should. And he's made so much money on that condo. And, you know, he could keep running it out. No CapEx expenses put into it, you know, very high rent. But his point was like, look, what's my opportunity cost of the money and of the time? And he realized that he was just going to take that money out, cash out. He could have maybe made more money by holding it six months, a year, 10 years. He could have had a great ROI. But let me ask you something. How great in Detroit, I can get 30% ROIs, right? All day long. Maybe now it's a little bit less, but that's cash on cash, unlevered. But what's 30% of 50 grand is not that much. What if I can get a 15% ROI on $10 million, right? Yep. So it, 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 that concept, and he said the same thing. Let me take that time and energy and money and invest into my syndication business, right? And be able to, 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 to get to a half a billion dollars under management instead of 350. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of your investors. What's one thing you like to tell newer investors when they're getting started? Or what's one thing they should know? Obviously, what we just talked about. You know, just look deeper than just the sticker price. But what do you guys tell newer investors that you think is the most important piece of advice? There's a few most important pieces of advice. Number one, find yourself a mentor, a mentorship program, or a course, right? Something where you can make sure that you're doing deals and that you're being exposed to the right people at the right time. And without a mentorship program or a course or a great mentor, it's very difficult to do that. That's number one. And by the way, the little sub note there, is that if you think that spending money on that is a waste of time or energy, then you miss the point, right? Because the the time, money, energy that you invest in that is going to allow you to scale much quicker. So having a mentor, having a course, having good people like we have at the CRE Pro Mentorship Team, CRE Pro Course, which is at CREPro.com, will really allow you to scale much faster. And even more importantly, perhaps, is that it will help you to avoid the mistakes that a lot of new investors make and a lot of new brokers make, right? That client I talked about before who bought the property with the wrinkle in the lease, right? He could have avoided that had he taken the course. That broker that sold the property, maybe he didn't even know about it. If he took the CRE Pro course for brokers, he would have known about it. And if he was, you know, somebody that didn't like disclose it properly, that investor would have known also because he took the course and he was in the mentorship program. So that's number one, have a course, a mentor, all that good stuff. And I'm happy to help any of your people out with that. Number two is definitely to take massive action, right? Get involved. 
do things, network with the right people, do the deals and, and work with people, not against them. Because by working with people and making yourself easy to work with, you're going to build a network of not only other people to work with, but other deals to do. Because people like doing deals with people they love, they trust, and that are easy to work with and who do what they say they're going to do. We teach all those things in our course. Now, the last thing that I'll say is that it's a point you hit on before. Okay. And that point is that when you look at a deal, don't just look at the numbers and don't just look at who's buying it and what the market is. Because like I said, I can get you a 35, a 30% cash on cash return on investment right now in the city of Detroit, but that's going to be on a $50,000 house. Okay. Now, would you rather that, or would you rather a 10 or 12 or 15% cash on cash return on a $10 million building? Of course, it's obvious, right? So make sure that you're doing deals and you're running them by your investor and make sure that you're doing the right type of deals. Don't be afraid to add a few zeros to the number of units you're going to buy, the purchase price, the sale price, or the net profit at the end of the deal. Those, I would say, are my top three pieces of advice. Love it. I really like the, the net profit piece you talked about there. I think a lot of people get stuck on the cash on cash piece and forget that in the end, it's it's all about how much profit are you going to make. So if you make a an eight percent cash on cash for a couple of years, but in the end, your your return is thirty or twenty five percent after the sale. That's a lot more money than if you just made that eight percent straight for double the time. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it. That would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah, 100%. Well, not 100%, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's important to, you know, I think a lot of people just don't realize that, you know, and and they need that that tutelage and they need that training. They need that guidance. And what we found is that it didn't exist on a on a um on a, a format agnostic and brand agnostic platform until we built the CRU Pro course. And we built it because people wanted it. So, you know, if you want something in commercial real estate or real estate or investing or business entrepreneurship, whatever, reach out to good people, they'll build it for you. Absolutely. It's all about who the five people you're around all the time. And if those five people aren't people that are doing what you want to do, yep. sign up for a course or join a mentorship and exactly. get around those people. You know, I, um, when I was a lot younger, I don't know if anybody watching this will be familiar with this group, but there was a group that was called Quickstar. And Quickstar was basically like an Amway. It was like a multi-level marketing company. Never signed up, never like paid anything for it. But I used to go with some of my friends to their, to their events. And I, I, one of my friends in college was very into it. So I went a lot of times and I would go just like the same reason I went to the Real Estate Investor Association meetings is that the speakers had so much value. Yeah, at the end, they're going to sell you something, but who cares? It's like, it's like a time, like my parents were Jewish, right? So my parents will go to these things so cheap. Okay. They'll go to these things and they'll, 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 they'll go to a conference about a timeshare just to get the dinner, right? I would never do that, but I'm going to go to a conference just to get the knowledge or just to get the relationships. So I would do that. Did it for real estate investing and did it for entrepreneurship 15 years ago. Okay. So I remember a lot of the speakers would say the same general motifs. And as, as a show host, I also hear the same general motifs from highly successful individuals. So it's nice to see the same things being repeated because they're probably true. So these guys would say the following, they would say the books that you read and the people that you associated with will have more influence on where you are in five, 10, 15 years than anything else in your life. And it is so true. 
right? And maybe today, 15 years later, it's not the books because a lot of people don't read. It's the podcasts, it's the streamcasts, it's the courses, it's the, the networking groups. But those things, those books you read and people that you hang out with are exactly what's going to get you to where you're going to be and take it to the next level in 5, 10, 15 years. And that's why what you're doing is so important because you're building a content machine, right? You're giving value. And today, 2021, 2022, people are able to consume value from anywhere in their home, many times for free. So it's like everybody out there watching, like get up off your butt, subscribe to things like this, network with good people and and learn because that's what's going to take you where you want to go. That is exactly what's going to take you where you want to go. Yeah. And like you said, now you don't even have to get off your couch to do it. I know. It's amazing. I, I, I had one dilemma today because I finished what I needed to do around 2.30 Eastern. It's about, you know, 3.45 Eastern, at least right now. I wanted to do this from the beach, but I wasn't going to make it in time. So I had to do it from the conference room. But that's first world problems. Those are broker problems. You know what I mean? Because we can do things from anywhere. Yeah. I love that. I like your your parents used to go to the timeshares for the free dinner too. A buddy and I actually went on one of those with the free vacation and we got a fully paid free vacation to sit through about a half a day timeshare presentation, but not bad free trip to not Florida. Bad. So, so, so now I would rather be the company selling the timeshares. Sure. Absolutely. Because clearly it's worth it for them to invest in their marketing. That's another, that's another fundamental lesson in what in our business is that your marketing dollars are your best dollars. In fact, like my marketing, the things I'm willing to pay for to get business is insane. Why? Because the business is so valuable. That's why I give out value for free because I will get business in return. And, and I'm sure the same goes for you. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about books just a second there ago, but do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people who actually do like to read? So let me ask you a qualifying question. What specific asset type and, and, and what type of business you know, psychology or business information are you looking for? I'll answer it however you want. So just either just mindset, you know, how to get in that right mindset to, to understand all the stuff that we're talking about, or really just building a business. Okay. Support your dreams. So there's a bunch. So I love business psychology. I mean, I'm a psychology major and I love business and sales and all that. One of the best books, and, and a guy, there's a guy that's going to be watching this that's going to kill me for saying this because he saw this book on my shelf 10 years ago. He pulled me aside at a dinner party. He's like, Dan, get that book off your shelf. You can't share that. People can't know about it. And I'm like, that's not how I operate. So I'm going to tell the world. And I do all the time. It's called um, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by um, Caldini. I think it's Robert Caldini. Really great book. I've heard he has other great books as well, but it's all about principles of sales psychology, like the contrast principle, um, like uh, you know the reciprocity principle, things like that. Excellent book for anyone in sales, marketing, or you know real estate. Definitely love that. Um, I love, in terms of what we've been talking about, I love a book, and this is good for your audience probably. It's called Multifamily Millions by Dave Lindahl. And that book, it's a Thin blue book. Yeah, you've, you've read it. Everybody has. Yeah. It's all about that, changing that mentality. Do you want a 10 or 20 unit or do you want 100 or 200, 300, 400 unit? And he, I took it from him. I, I didn't make that up what I said earlier. It's just a matter of, of the increase in zeros. I added into that, that the increase in zeros in, in, the, in the, the take home at the end, but it's the same thing too. The increase in zeros in, in, in the purchase um, and in the size and obviously in the take home. And it's the same, you know, everything else is the same. So that's a very great book to read. I also like, um, you know, I love Gary Keller. I, you know, I've, I was in, I was in Austin with him, you know, a couple of years ago. I love it. Love him. Love him. Um, Jay Papasan. They have a book called uh, the one thing. Great book. 
really great book. And then Gary Keller also has some other books like the um, uh, multi-million, I think it's a multi-million dollar real estate agent, multi-million dollar real estate investor. Those are great books. And then if you want to talk psychology, you got to read stuff by Eckhart Tolle, like um, The Power of Now, you know, setting your intention, having good energy, um, you know, basically removing any limiting beliefs. That's huge. That book changed my life. I've read, I literally read it and then I read it three times in a row just to cement it. Wow. Um, by the way, that's a good tip. I learned it from, you know, how to win friends, friends and influence people. Read a chapter, immediately reread the chapter, read the next chapter, immediately reread. And then as soon as you finish the book, read it again. It'll cement it in your mind. And then <clears throat> that's a good book, How to Win friend, Friends and Influence People. And then another one that I really, really like, also game-changing, life-changing book. And thank you to, um, what's his name? Uh, John Dwoskin for giving me this book. It's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon oh, Hill. Yeah, great book. Same thing. Great book. And again, I've read that book probably seven times since he gave it to me because same reasons. I mean, those principles, and you got to, you got to pound them into your head. You got to live them. You got to write down how much money you're going to make and smell it and feel it and taste it and see it and envision it twice a day, every morning, every night. You got to talk. Like I talk, I shouldn't say this, but I talk. And what I say is what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to sell this. I, but I don't say I'm going to, and I tell everyone on the show this, I had an Olympic athlete on my show two weeks ago. And he said, he said, you know, don't say that we're an Olympic team. I said, no, no, I'm, I, you don't say it because you're going to get in trouble with your federation. I'm going to say it. You are getting a gold medal right now. You are qualifying for the Olympics. I am selling $100 million of real estate this year. I am doing X, Y, and Z because setting that intention and living as if it's already happened, that inner reality setting is what creates that external reality and makes that a reality in the flesh. Love that. Love thinking, grow rich. And you know, all of Gary Keller's books you mentioned, of course, I've read them. I met Keller Williams. I think this is their first office that they ever had in Austin here. It's really? The number one office. Um, he's the corporate office is right down the street, but yeah. You know, um, you know Jason Abrams? I don't know him personally. I know the name. So he's, he's a friend of mine here, here from Michigan, but he's now Gary's right-hand man. He like just dropped everything. He has a, he had like a luxury real estate company. Yeah, literally about 500 feet from where I am right now. And then he dropped it all. And he's, I wouldn't say he dropped it all. He probably ported it, but he's Gary's, you know, right-hand man out there. And man, they're, they're doing great things. Yeah. I've seen a lot about him. I don't know him personally though, hopefully here soon. Um, so Dan, you know, you've got a lot of different stuff going on. You're a real estate broker. You guys have a course on how to help people invest in real estate. You also invest yourself. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Oh, that just changed because I used to give out my cell phone number on these things and, and, and I, I love it. I probably, maybe I still will, but best way is to go to my website, www.danontop.com, seven letter URL, danontop.com, or shoot me an email, dan at danontop.com, right? You can also find me on social media, very active on LinkedIn. That's how you and I linked up. And uh, if there's any way that I can add value, shoot me an email, go to my website, www.creprocourse.com. Reach out to my partner, Zach Racinger. Also, um, you know, he's, he's available, Zach at creprocourse.com. That's Zach at creprocourse.com. Check out our website. Go to my website, danontop.com. Reach out to me, email dan at danontop.com or find me on social, shoot me a DM. I mean, I'm happy to add value and, and work with great people in any way that I can. So please, by all means, reach out and you know, I'm just here to help. Absolutely. And we'll have all that in the show notes, guys. Awesome. So everybody will be able to reach out to Dan and learn more about their courses and, and what he's doing. 
Um, Dan, last question here. What is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Oh, for sure. It's Max's Wine Dive. I love that. I think it might be temporary closed right now because of what's going on in the world. But I remember being with all the great people at KW down in, down in Austin. And then yep. one of the nights we went to Max's Wine Dive and it was just like the pairings of the wine and the, and the food together. I'll never forget this. I, I don't even know. I wish I remembered the guy's name. I have to look it up in my notes. This was five, six years ago. We, had, we, we sat there and there were guys from all over the world, right? Crazy real estate investors, super successful. And we sat down and, you know, I think I was, I was a little late to the dinner or whatever, but we all sat down. We're having a great time. They're, they're bringing out the food with the wine. And in the corners, there's the stations, you know, this food with that wine. And the guy sat down, he was from Hawaii. He had like a software company for real estate or something like that, which obviously that'll explain his next move. He ordered like a $5,000 bottle of wine. And I'm a wine guy, but I'm like a, just, just calling a spade a spade. I'm like a 10, 20, 30, 50, $60 bottle of wine guy, right? Maybe 70 if we're out. But like to taste a bottle of wine like that, that was like literally specifically for this food. And then to watch these guys like sip it and enjoy it and talk about it. I mean, yeah, it seemed a little bit over the top, but it was also cool to just see the the same level of refinement he had with his SaaS company and with real estate investing. He had the same thing for everything in life. So to me, like I'm talking about it, man, and I'm smiling inside because what a great city, what a great restaurant and what a great time there. Yeah, you'll have to come on down next time it's open. Oh heck yeah! Let's do it. with or without Max's wine dive. We got we're gonna hang out in person. I'll bring I'll bring Zach and Ben and all the guys from Austin. We'll have a great time. Let's do it. Well, hey Dan, I appreciate you coming on here today. And again, anybody that wants to reach out to Dan, it's danontop.com or it's Dan Lukowitz anywhere on social media, and he'll get back to you right away. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. You have a great day.